Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on His side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to... We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right. Hey, guys, what's going on? I'm Crystal Heath. This is KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas, where our service time Sunday morning are 930 and 11.15. Now, we could talk about today the fact that PETA wants Maine to have a gravestone to commemorate the tragedy of lost lobsters. It's not a joke. The gravestone they're suggesting has an engraving of a lobster, and it says, in memory of the lobsters who suffered and died at this spot, August 2018. And then at the bottom it says, try vegan, and it has a little PETA logo on it. We could talk about that. We could talk about that. We could talk about uh, CNN and how they are just going no holds barred at the president. We could talk about a variety of news today. We could talk about the Catholic Church scandal, the Pope. But everybody else is talking about those things. So instead... I want to talk about something else that people aren't talking about as much. It's been, the, the stories I have today have been like blip, blip on the radar of, of media in this country from what I have seen. And unless you were really paying attention, you might have missed the blip. So I'm going to bring them back to the forefront because I think sometimes we talk about the wrong things. We major on minor issues and we minor on major issues. This, to me, where we're going to start today, uh, is a, is more of a major issue than whether or not CNN hates President Trump. Honestly, I, I don't really think we need to have that conversation. I feel that most of America probably is already aware or already knows or whatever. Right? So today I have a different array of vast and storied news to cover. Vast, very vast, very storied, or very varied story, whichever you prefer, really. But thanks for being with us this Thursday. Are you ready? Let's go, because our first stop is over in sunny California, where the headlines read this. California progressive church pastor claims Jesus was a person of color that was killed by white Supremacy. I'm going to read that again. California progressive church pastor claims Jesus was a person of color that was killed by white supremacy. Personally, I think that this is more of a worthwhile conversation for us to have than whether or not CNN hates the president. I just do for this Thursday. So this is where we're going to start today. And uh, the Daily Wire did a piece on this, so I'm going to read through what they have, and then we're going to discuss this, okay? So here we go. A progressive church in Santa Cruz, California, likes to think of itself as progressive, serving beer during services and opening a brewery, while its pastor claims Jesus was a feminist and a person of color that was killed by white supremacy. The pastor of the Greater Purpose Church, Christopher Van Hall, said, What would it look like to be a church that looked like the movement that Jesus started and not like the church that we know in America today? Out of that consistent questioning came this model for a brewery church that generates funds for local charities. He continued, We are open and affirm LGBTQ. 
We are feminists and believe Jesus was too. We are environmentalists, which I believe that's the original mandate of the children of God to take care of the planet that we all know and enjoy. We are anti-war, which I believe Jesus was too. We are for racial justice, which Jesus was a Palestinian Jewish rabbi. He was a person of color that was killed by white supremacy, so we're usually making every effort to be on the front lines for racial justice. So that's what sets us apart from many American churches. After five years of holding services, the church took over an old bookstore with the intention of turning it into a brewery and a restaurant. Van Hall said, we said, hey, why can't we do a brewery and then we can use the space on Sunday before it opens to the public as a worship space and then we can use the funds to give to local charities that people of all face, all sexual, all racial, and even all ra- uh, racial identities can support. Like, who? Racial? I'm sorry. Uh, is Sean King or Rachel Dozell like, is that, are you donating to their organizations? What racial identity? <sighs> I gotta wait. So we came up with this model and we found an awesome spot, consequently happened to be right below Planned Parenthood in Santa Cruz, which we adore and support their efforts for giving health care to women. The church is scheduled to open in the summer of 2019. If that whole thing does not blow your mind, and I say it's a Daily Wire story, it is a Daily Wire story, but honestly, most of it is just direct quotes from the guy who is the quote unquote pastor of this church. So let's let's break this down step by step, just based on his statements, because there's so much confusion today as to what Christianity is, who Jesus was. It's just mind-blowing to me. So first off, uh, he, he begins this whole thing. Uh, what would it look like to be a church that looked like the movement Jesus started and not like the church that we know in America today? Well, unlike most of what he listed, it would look like going to synagogue on Saturday as well as gathering together on Sunday It would look very much like keeping Jewish traditions and feasts because Jesus, by not offending the law at all, the law referred to there would be that which is written in the Old Testament and most specifically in the Torah. So Jesus would have kept everything in the law, meaning he lived a perfectly sinless Jewish life as well as keeping the spirit of the law. And that is what he and his disciples would have practiced and followed as well. Tradition of meeting on the first day of the week followed his resurrection. But tradition and history shows that it was the early church that met in both, in many instances, the synagogue on Saturday to keep the Sabbath and then celebrated the resurrection of their Savior, our Savior, on Sunday. They would also all be wearing like robes and growing beards and stuff. And not eating bacon. And most definitely not affirming any of the things that this pastor goes on to say that he affirms. Because again, pretty much everything he uh, takes a strong stance for here. Not everything, I'm sorry. Uh, but the the actual issues that we're going to get into in a moment would be in violation of the law, which again would not line up with the quote movement that Jesus started. And by movement that Jesus started, uh, I, uh, Christianity turning the world upside down. Like what? I, so many things, so many things. So let's break down his actual statement here. He, he then goes on to say that they affirm LGBTQ. Now, now we now we've definitely crossed the line. So there's the there's the semantics of we could argue what would it look like if the church was like what Jesus did, and you know that's an interesting conversation to have, sure. But then he goes on to describe what he thinks that would look like, and he gets it all wrong. Did Jesus love sinners? You bet he surely did, and he does. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's an 
infinite, outstanding, uncomprehendable amount of love. Look, I don't know about you, but I'm not offering my life in place of a murderer or a rapist or a child abuser. You know what? You can kill them. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, That is justice. I don't need to step in for them because I didn't do that stuff. I don't honestly care about them. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, you know what? They deserve to die. But that's not God. God says, I love the murderer, the rapist, the child abuser enough that I will die for them to give them the opportunity to be forgiven and restored. You're probably not going to die for somebody like that, right? I'm not. God did. Because God's love is infinite. Not that he excuses any of that behavior. Oh, no. No, the Bible has very, very, very specific and scary uh, uh, things to say about people who commit such heinous crimes. And how they will be judged. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What he didn't do was be like, hey, guys, whatever you want to do, it's all good. You know what? You just just forget about all that stuff in the Old Testament. Just forget. You know what? You just you just live however you want. You just love is love. You just love whoever you want. And it doesn't matter. Like my plan for the family. No big deal. You just you know what? You can redefine the family. You can redefine anything you want about life because it's just all about love. It's all good. And you know what? Sin. There's no 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 worries. There's no judgment zone. There's no more sin. I took care of I took care of everything so you guys can just live however you want to live with no fear of any repercussion or or afterlife or anything like that. You just you just it's all good. Nope. That wasn't Jesus. That isn't Jesus. No, he called sin sin and when he confronted it, when he encountered it, he did not affirm the sin. Did he love the sinner? He sure did. But what Jesus said to the sinner was go and sin no more. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, it's not, it's all good. No, it's go and sin no more. Now, when that relationship happens... Then, you know, we can come to God and we find forgiveness and, 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 and it is all good, if you will. But the sinner without Christ, when that encounter happens, the solution is you accept Jesus as your Savior and then you sin no more. I'm not saying you will never sin, but that that is the idea. Because your life is turned around. The things you do change because of Christ. Next up, this pastor says that Jesus was a feminist. Now, what does that mean? This one is kind of like his next statement that Jesus is an environmentalist. So he's a feminist, he's an environmentalist. Okay, so by feminist, what what are you trying to communicate there? By saying that, do you mean that you value women, that you believe women are as valuable uh, as men are, that they are equal but different? Then yeah. Jesus is right there with you. He put more value on women than anyone in history before him. But in doing so, he didn't say that men were evil or toxic or anything like that in the process simply because they were men. But he does value women because guess what? God created male and female in his image, which is a dichotomy that I can't really understand or explain to you. But that's how it is. Now, if you're saying that Jesus being a feminist would walk around with, you know, uh, certain kinds of hats on his head or uh, parade down or encourage parading down the streets of various cities without clothing to declare your uh, feminine rights, I don't think he'd be there with you. I really don't. I really, really, really don't. 
As far as being an environmentalist, yeah, we are supposed to take care, if you will, of the planet. God said that our job was to replenish the earth and to subdue it. Now, subduing the earth, I don't think necessarily means that we need to have headstones for lobsters. Now, if you want to bury your dog and put a headstone there, I, uh, you know, <laughs> but this doesn't mean that, you know, you, you can't ever use a plastic bag because then you are being a bad steward of God's earth. So it just, again, this one I feel is pretty much in line with the whole feminist statement. Like, what do you mean by this? What is it that you actually think that Jesus would do under this heading? Because just based on everything else you're saying uh, and apparently believing and teaching, I have my doubts that this is actually biblical since very little else you're saying is. He then says that Jesus was anti-war. Well, I, you know, maybe you missed the part where Jesus said that he came to bring a sword and also possibly the description of him and his actions in the book of Revelation and possibly also that little verse in Ecclesiastes that talks about there being a time for war and a time for peace. And, you know, almost the entire Old Testament, but... Uh, what do I know? Uh, then he talks about racial justice. Again, what does this mean? Like as with feminism, do you mean that God creates everyone on purpose, with purpose, and that all life is sacred and valuable regardless of skin tone? Then yes, 100%. Jesus is right there with you. Because the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. Uh, or are you talking about the need apparently, uh, to punish certain races for the past actions of others or to eliminate some perceived or real privilege or to loot and burn in protest or, or, or attack police officers or their families because of their profession. Like, what do you mean by Jesus would campaign for racial justice with you today? Because as with feminism, this could be an either or maybe. What what I I think that you maybe are reading this incorrectly again because of the whole thing here. There's like a theme going on. So I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't uh, some of these things at least, but in a completely different way than how this pastor would have them uh, have you believe. Next, his next statement was that Jesus was a Palestinian. And then he says, Jewish rabbi. Like, and there's literally, there's periods in his quote. So, like, he's, his statement is that Jesus was a Palestinian. And then he, like, tacks it on as a leftover Jewish rabbi. Um, that's not how it worked. Okay? <laughs> we have Jesus' lineage on both sides. And, oh, by the way, God is his father. So, uh, he, he wasn't a Palestinian. Right? He's God. One. And then if you want a, a, a human nationality, Jesus was a Jew. Period. The end. His parents were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples, Jewish. That's really, that's it. And he was killed by white guys, by white supremacists. <sighs> okay. So in reality... Let's just think this through logically for just a minute. If you're saying that Jesus was crucified by Romans and you think that all Italians serving in the Roman army or, or others who had been forced and compelled into service or slavery in the Roman army were in fact white supremacists, then sure, I guess so, maybe, perhaps. But if you actually understand the biblical account of the crucifixion, you would realize that the Romans had no beef with Jesus. If the Romans had beef with Jesus, Jesus would have been taken out way before he got to 33, okay? Because they weren't messing around and they didn't have any problems with off with your head, crucify you, you're done, you're out, the end, right? No. <laughs> it was Jesus' own people, his own race, his own country, whatever this pastor would want to call it. Uh, it was the Jewish leaders... The priests, the Levites, the rabbis, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, who called for Jesus' death, which led to his crucifixion. 
So technically speaking, if you think that Jesus was a Palestinian person of color, then he was in fact killed by other Palestinian people of color, though factually he was a Jew whose death was initiated by Jews, tried by Jews, and executed by Italians and those compelled into serving in the Roman army. But, you know, facts and stuff like that. And then this pastor wraps up what they believe by talking about the evils of white supremacy without specifying how, you know, myself or anyone else who happened to be born with a skin tone uh, similar to the color white uh, is a supremacist. I mean, am I a white supremacist because I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania? I mean, I'll tell you what, though. Growing up with two parents... And the society we live in today is a privilege, and I will claim that all day. Growing up in a Christian home, a privilege, and I will claim that all day. But if you did not grow up in a two-parent home or in a Christian home, that's not necessarily, or even at all, really, because of some racial injustice. No, that's because the people in our country and in our society and in our world are disregarding the will and the way of God. It's not because of your skin tone Every person has the opportunity to accept or reject the ways of God. And I wish we could just get back to a point that we could all just look at the content of character and not the color of skin deal. Like, MLK was really on to something there. But this church, their conclusion from this pastor is, is going out of his way to say that their focus is racial justice. Now, call me crazy, but I thought the focus of the church was supposed to be introducing people to God through his son, Jesus Christ, and sharing with them how they can be forgiven of their sins and go to heaven when they die, and then discipling them to live a godly life. I'm not saying that a church can't or shouldn't be active in their culture or their community. They should, but that's not the primary purpose, is not is not uh, working for social justice or a new pizza parlor or getting somebody elected to office or even having a great children's program. That's not the primary purpose of a church. Oh, and (laughs) I left out my favorite part. This church that's all about Jesus they also talk about how, you know, we're, we're located right under Planned Parenthood and we just love them. And we love the work that they do. And and he mentioned in the statement how they raise money for organizations that people of all faiths and colors and racial backgrounds and racial identities that, uh, wow, uh, that they all frequent. This church raises money for the Planned Parenthood above them via the bar, which operates out of their... Uh, quote-unquote, sanctuary. My guess is perhaps they don't care as much about minority communities as they claim since Planned Parenthood annually murders minority children at an appalling rate with 96% of their mega centers targeting, specifically targeting, minority areas and communities. I don't know, but I feel like that wasn't something that Jesus would be all into. Like, I don't think he would be like, hey, you guys, you people that pull babies limb from limb from their mother's womb. Good on you. Nope. 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 Like, do you understand that maybe perhaps what CNN said about Donald Trump today isn't as important as having a conversation about how the faith that we hold to and believe is being warped and twisted and presented to our young people as something completely contrary to what the Word of God says. Now, I'm look, I love politics and I'm into politics and I believe in being involved in the political process. I'm going to be going door knocking for some candidates this weekend. If you want to go with me, uh, hit me up. Uh, on my cell phone if you have it or email me and and you're welcome to go with me I'm involved in what's going on in our culture okay and you know if you listen to this program that that's the majority of what we talk about but there comes a point where you've got to say sometime we need to talk about the underlying 
cause for all of the problems in our culture and in our society. And it all traces back to this, that we have taken the word of God, we have taken Jesus Christ, and we have twisted him to suit what we believe instead of changing our lives to align with scripture. And our culture has said, this is what is okay, this is what is not okay, and have decided that culture is God rather than letting God be God. And I started thinking about all of this yesterday morning. A part of my devotions uh, was in Malachi, and it just uh, um, in Malachi chapter two, and it just made me shudder for churches, quote unquote, like this in America today. I mean, we all know uh, the verse in Isaiah. Um, I believe it's in Isaiah five, where Isaiah. T- um, says, uh, uh, woe unto those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto people that say that the evil is actually good and that the good is actually evil. We're all familiar with that verse. Malachi is a smaller book of the Bible, isn't maybe preached about or taught as much, but in Malachi chapter 2, uh, the prophet Malachi takes everything a bit further, right? So Malachi 2, I'm going to read you verses 13 through 17, because this is what I this started me thinking on this whole thing yesterday. Uh, in Malachi, it says, This have you done again. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the uh, the residue of the spirit. And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. That's the second time now. No, third time, excuse me, that God talks about dealing treacherously with your wife, meaning uh, cheating on her. And Jesus said that's even looking with lust at someone else. And then 17 is where it just the hammer comes down. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, wherein have we wearied him? When you say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. God is tired of people, of pastors, of churches that go around and say that evil is good. And he's specifically tired of those that teach and preach that those that do evil, that God approves of this. No, this is good. This is what God actually says when it's in actual reality completely different than what God says. God's wearied with these people. And at the beginning of the passage, he doesn't even regard their offering anymore. He doesn't even regard them anymore. How utterly tragic is it to be in a place where you think that you are presenting what God wants and saying that that which is evil is actually good and God is tired of it to the point where he does not even regard you anymore how tragic is that i i can't even wrap my head around the ramifications of this of how how thin the ice is that one walks on with our god when they call evil good or say that God likes this when in actuality it's evil. I mean, when you're supporting, when you are funding, when you are championing, championing, champion, how do you say it? You know the word. When you're championing, that does not sound right, championing the murder of innocent children. 
when you're affirming an immoral lifestyle that God calls sin. And not just that that's not just gay gay marriage or 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 or, or anything. God's like, no, back the truck up. You're supposed to be faithful to your wife and you can't even do that. You're supposed to have, I said, one man, one woman, one lifetime. You don't even look at somebody else, let alone divorce her, let alone go past that. You be faithful to that one person and you can't even do that. I mean, this passage, God doesn't even get into. It's really, it's about a husband a husband and wife relationship. And God says, you've treated your wife treacherously and I'm, I'm out. Like, I'm not regarding, no. Your offering doesn't matter. God's not regarding it. And why? It's, it's in there. And I, I love this, and we miss it so much. And then you try and talk about it, and people are like, no. Malachi says, why did God make one? Why did God say, you, man, marry one woman, and you stay with her for life? Why? Why one? Malachi says, that he might seek a godly seed. That's it. That is the whole reason. It's in a sweet little wrapped up package. God wants you to have and raise godly children. And he's literally saying right here in Malachi, the only way that happens is you have one man, you have one woman, you stick with her like glue forever. And woman that goes to you too, you stick to glue like him forever and you be faithful to him forever. And if God is that serious just about marriage between a man and a woman, and we can't even get that one right, and God says that having being unfaithful to the wife of your, your youth is reason enough for him to not regard your offering anymore that you call that evil good imagine imagine how he feels about other interpersonal relationships woe unto them that call good evil and evil good extra woe unto them if they teach that sometimes in our culture and in our churches we shy away from being forthright about what God says but the other side the other side is not shy about what they think they're shouting from the housetops that evil is good and good is evil and by the way, when I'm talking about evil or sin, this is God's standards. This is what God says in his word. I'm not making this stuff up. You better be willing to take a stand for what's right. Woe unto you. Woe unto us. If we don't. Now, I could spend the, the rest of the program balancing out everything I just said, if you will, and talking about the love of God and the mercy of God and the compassion of God. But I'm, I'm not going to do that because I think that that's not... You, you don't need that. You understand that. But our young people are being presented all across this country by churches and pastors as demonstrated by this church and I use that term very loosely in California they're being presented a false Jesus they're being taught that evil is good that things that are specifically 
outlined in Scripture repeatedly as what God calls evil or what God calls good, they're being told the opposite. I, it, it, it breaks my heart. I have very good friends who were uh, or have been not necessarily supporting something that would be immoral, but at least uh, accepting of it, if you will. And, you know, when we had a conversation about it, the conversation was, but you don't understand. Our pastor teaches that this is okay in the sight of God. Our, our church says there's nothing wrong with this. And our children have grown up in an environment where there's nothing wrong with this. So now how do we tell them no when all along the church has been saying yes? Parents, please teach your children the word of God, the ways of God, the truth of God's word, and please Please have them in a church that teaches and preaches the word of God. No one else cares or is ultimately responsible for your children. You are responsible for your children. And there are a million voices out there blasting at your kids every day that evil is good. And that good is evil. It's your job to make sure they can tell the difference, the real difference, and understand in the eyes of God what is good and what is evil. And we are back. I'm Crystal Heath. This is KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. We're about to switch gears here because uh, I just I feel like switching gears because we need something different. Because that first segment was uh, was kind of heavy, but I but uh, it was it's heavy on my heart. So now it can be heavy on your hearts too. Pray for our country. Take care of your kids. All right. Um, we are going to talk now <laughs> about Nicki Minaj. Actually, we're not really. I'm just I'm using her very briefly as an example, and then we're going to get into some really good stuff. Okay, so Nicki Minaj. For those of you who don't know, uh, and kudos to you if you don't. Uh, yeah, uh, she's an American rapper, singer, model, actress. Uh, she was in the news earlier this week, not for her new album. Actually, this may have been the end of last week that she did this. It was last week, I think, that she said this. But um, she was in the news because she compared herself to Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman is one of my all-time favorite people. Like, great American hero. Right? But Nicki Minaj made news because she compared herself to Harriet Tubman. Okay? So, this is... This is... Uh, this is what she said. I'm going to edit it a little bit because some of what she said I, I, I don't say and we're not allowed to say on the radio. Uh, but she said, uh, she said, all the queens I remember shook stuff up. Queen of the week may go to Harriet Tubman. Had she just sat there and ate her rice, you blank history would have been a lot less triumphant. Y'all have no I I had no idea Harriet Tubman was trending. I said what I said. Hashtag Queen Radio will honor her tomorrow. She said she could have rescued more slaves had they known they were slaves. I fought for streaming services to count toward Billboard when a lot of blank stayed quiet. Now, allow me to interpret for you if you're like, what did she just say? Okay. Essentially, what she said was uh, Harriet Tubman's fight for freedom is kind of like my album sales. 
Like how Harriet Tubman literally risked her life every day to rescue uh, men and women and children from slavery is so much like how I fought for streaming services to count towards, uh, towards Billboard. It's basically the same thing. First of all, first of all, uh, comparing your <laughs> music sales to anything Harriet Tubman di- did is is perhaps the most stupid uh, anti or, or, or comment related to historical issues and slavery that I've ever heard. And secondly, I really don't know if there's anyone. Any American, at least, that I know of today uh, who could in any way say that what they do or who they are is comparable to Harriet Tubman. It It just doesn't seem right. And for Nicki Minaj to compare her album sales to Tubman's work, in my opinion, is absolutely insane. I mean, if you want to talk about privilege, uh, this woman's worth $75 million. She has two Lamborghinis and what's been dubbed the Barbie Bentley, 10 Grammy nominations, her own cosmetic company. She's been in movies. She's heralded as the most recognized and successful female rapper besides some other woman that I've actually never heard of. Uh, She was born in Trinidad. Her mother moved the family here when she was very young. She grew up in Queens, worked as a waitress uh, before her music career, and fun fact, was actually fired 15 times from waitressing because of rudeness. (laughs) So that's Nicki Minaj, all right? Harriet Tubman. Do you know about Harriet Tubman? This woman is a heroine. She was born in 1820, lived to be 97 years old. She was born to a slave family. She was born into slavery in Maryland in 1822. She was named Araminta by her enslaved parents, Ben and Rit Ross. Uh, at the age of 13, uh, she, um, she was beaten and a severe blow to her head uh, caused, caused issues for her that would make her for the rest of her life appear to be having seizures, but she wasn't having seizures. She just couldn't always, uh, uh, communicate as effectively or as quickly as, as you and I might be able to because of the damage from the beating she received when she was 13 years old. Uh, she changed her name to Harriet, uh, upon her marriage to free man John Tubman in 1844 and escaped from slavery five years later when her enslaver died and she was going uh, to be sold. There was a $100 reward offered for her capture. And after that happened, she vowed that with the help of God, she would bring her family and friends to freedom, as many people as she could. So she spent 10 years, or the next 10 years rather, making 13 trips back down below the Mason-Dixon line into Maryland to rescue her family and friends. In addition to that, she gave instructions to about 70 more slaves who also would find their way to freedom independently without her via the Underground Railroad and other means because of her uh, guidance and the route she put down and the instructions she gave them. According to the National Park Service, Tubman successfully used the skills she had learned while working on the wharves, fields, and woods, observing the stars and natural environment, and learning about the secret communication networks of free and enslaved African Americans to effect her escapes. She later claimed she never lost a passenger. The famous abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison called her Moses, and the name stuck. But wait, there's more. During the Civil War, right? So, uh, so all this time, Tubman is risking her, literally risking her life. There is a price on her head because she is now the Moses of this time. Slave owners in Maryland are not happy with this woman. She, 13 trips where she rescues slaves, helps another 70 escape on top of that. 
Following all of this, during the Civil War, she served in the U.S. Army as a spy, a scout, a nurse, and a cook, and because of it, received a military recognition at her burial. She knew Frederick Douglass. She was close to John Brown, William Henry Seward. Uh, She knew Susan B. Anthony. She knew Ralph Waldo Emerson. She knew William Lloyd Garrison. She knew Harriet Beecher Stowe. it's uh, the the connections that this woman made. Oh, and by the way, uh, when she died in Auburn, New York, she died at the home she had purchased from Secretary of State William Seward. This woman was incredible. Her life was full of purpose. Her life was dedicated to helping others and to risking her life repeatedly over and over and over and over again for others. But that heroism, that success, she credited it all to God. She was a woman of incredible Christian faith. She never learned to read, but she had an incredible memory. And she memorized more scripture than Probably your kids will learn if they go through the entire Awana program. But remember that accident I told you about when she was 13 years old? Well, it wasn't an accident. She was, she was beaten. She refused to help tie up another slave. And her overseer threw a two-pound weight at her. It struck her in the head and cracked her skull. She was not given any medical care and laid unconscious for two days, after which she was sent back out to work. Because of that injury, uh, like I said, she had difficulty then with various uh, tasks and would fall asleep um, uncontrollably. And that's why her master decided to attempt to sell her. But in spite of her injury, she began to pray for her master. And she would later say that she prayed, Lord, change that man's heart and make him a Christian. When she wasn't able to be sold because of her injury, she learned that she was, uh, she was going to be sent to a chain gang in the far south. She no longer changed. She, her prayer changed. She said, Lord, if you ain't never going to change that man's heart, then kill him, Lord. Take him out of the way so that he can't do any more mischief. Shortly thereafter, her master died. And she felt bad. And she said, later, she said, I would give the whole world full of silver and gold if I had it to bring that poor soul back. I would get everything. But he was gone and I could pray for him no more. going to be sold again in 1849. That was when she decided to flee northward. She made it successfully to Pennsylvania. And when she arrived, she said she prayed, Lord, I ain't got no friend but you. Come to my help, Lord, for I am in trouble. She talked often about prayer, about consulting with God, about God leading her. About God directing her or or giving her promptings not to go one way or another because of danger. Between her family and friends in the 70 that she helped escape, it's estimated that she helped lead or give information to 300 successfully escaped Slaves. So you have Harriet Tubman, literally a hero who escaped from slavery, saved lives, and was a war hero who lived off of next to nothing for much of her life, was hunted and wanted for most of her life, constantly risking her life for others. 
And then you have Nicki Minaj, who has a Barbie Bentley, who says that her fight to get streaming services to count for billboard numbers is the modern day equivalent of what Tublin accomplished. Nope. Not even close, Nikki. And there's an important lesson in this comparison where I'm going to end today. Harriet Tubman is a hero because her entire life was about others. Once she escaped to, for, to, from slavery, she could have just then gone on her with her life. We would have never known about her. She wouldn't have become a spy in the Civil War. And she would have faded into obscurity. We know about her because she literally risked her life perpetually for the sake of others. And if you haven't reached this point yet, there will come a time in your life where you have to make a decision. Where you will have to answer hard questions. You will have to decide who you are living for. What are you living for? Will you be remembered for giving your life for others? Is your life about service or will you be remembered for having a pink Bentley? I'm not saying that success is wrong. It's not. But is your focus others or is your focus yourself? Are you more worried about your bank account than about ministering to people in need? Because you're going to die someday and it won't matter if you had $500 or $500,000 in your bank account. It's not going with you. But people, the lives that you impact for Christ, that is eternal. Yes, save money. Yes, invest. Yes, be frugal and wise. But never lose focus of what is truly important. Harriet Tubman said, every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember, you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars and change the world. She said, if you hear the dogs, keep going. If you see torches in the woods, keep going. If they're shouting after you, keep going. Don't ever stop. Keep going. If you want a taste of freedom, keep going. God's time is always near. He gave me my strength. He set the north star in the heavens. He meant that I should be free, but it wasn't me. It was the Lord. I always told him, I trust you. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do, but I expect you to lead me. And he always did. Do you trust God to guide you? Do you expect him to lead you? Because if you trust him to guide you and you expect him to lead you, just like with Harriet Tubman, he always will. That's all the time that I have left for today. Thank you so much for being with us. It was great to have you here. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Friday, which means that I am giving things away. So you don't want to miss out on that. Our service times on Sunday are 9.30 and 11.15. Our address, 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard, Liberty Baptist Church. If you can't be here in person, you can stream us online. Just visit our website at experienceliberty.com or go like us on Facebook at Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas to watch a live stream of our service there as well. We're going to end today with Steve Green and God is Love, and we will see you back here tomorrow, same time, same place, KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas. <music>